copy of God's Word, I would love for you to take and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. As we continue our trek through the pastoral epistles, and we talk about what it means to be a church and what we're called to do as a church. And this morning, as we finish up chapter 1, Paul tells us to be totally devoted to Jesus. And I know that's not a surprise to some of us who've been on this road for a while. But it's something we need to be always reminded of. So follow along on the screen or in your Bible as I read verses 13 through 18 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change, chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtain mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and this moment of, of transparency that Paul gives us into what's going on in his own life, but also the reminder that we have something we're supposed to hold on to and guard. May we learn this morning and make a commitment this morning to do better at that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See, the Lord's Supper reminds us of something. It reminds us of the covenant Christ made. And I, I know I say that a lot in the instrument, in the implementation of it. But the new covenant that Christ established for our blood and our righteousness is a very important covenant. Something we should always remember and seek to remember. And one thing about covenants is it requires commitment. It requires commitment, devotion from both parties. That's the way the covenant works. It's not a covenant if both parties don't agree to it. And so we're going to learn today that we can all be a little bit more committed, a little bit more devoted to that covenant by the way we live our lives. Paul's going to talk to us about that, of our covenant with the Savior and how we can be devoted to him more. So like I've said before, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's writing it from a, a dungeon in Rome, probably months before his execution. So he writes with a little bit of passion for what's important. He's writing with a little bit of urgency for Timothy to take to heart what he's been telling him. And he stresses to Timothy, he stresses to the Ephesian church, and now he stresses to us the teachings and the truth of the gospel and how it's important to keep it going, to keep sharing it. It's got a purpose in all aspects of our life. So this morning in these passages particularly, Paul commands Timothy to stay faithful to the gospel, to stay faithful to it, to the teaching of it, to the truth of it. And then he gives Paul a very, very bad example and a very, very good example of doing that. So Christ calls us to be devoted, like we've said and we've talked about, and he calls us to be faithful with the truth, faithful with the truth given to us at salvation and by discipleship, hold it dear and pass it on. And that's what we're going to do this. We're going to, how can we stay devoted to Christ's teachings and learn from good examples? Well, that's what we're going to have to do. And one of the things he tells us in this passage is keep 
the truth and remember the examples. Remember what's been passed on to us. First of all, let's keep the truth close. Verses 13 through 14. Paul wants Timothy to hold on to something. So let's read that passage again. Verses 13 through 14. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There's a couple of things right there that Paul wants Timothy to do. He uses two words of instruction or command. Hold and guard. Hold and guard. He wants Timothy to be very diligent in those two things. To hold on to and to guard something. So what is Timothy holding on to and guarding? Well, I'm glad you asked. The standard of sound teaching that he heard from Paul. The pattern, the standard, the form, and the good deposit of God's truth that God gave him. Paul knows it's easy to lose sight of that mission. So first, let's, let's dig a little deeper into this standard of sound teaching and this good deposit. What exactly is he talking about here? Well, obviously, for Paul's condition and situation, when he wrote Timothy, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. That's the only scriptures they had was the Old Testament. What we have today is our, our Old Testament. And it's really not old. You shouldn't call it that probably sometimes because it's got new stuff in it every day. And then the testimony that it gives about Jesus Christ. If you read the, the sermon Peter gave at Pentecost, he pulls Old Testament scriptures out to make a point of what just went on in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came. It also includes what God gave Paul and the apostles who passed it on to others like Timothy. So what Jesus taught the twelve what the 12 has taught other people, what Paul learned from Christ through the Holy Spirit, what Paul learned from Christ while he was three years in Arabia by himself, those things are also part of the sound teaching in which we now have in our Bible. Okay, so let me make it clear for us today, our sound teaching is the Bible. This is the good deposit. This is what we live by, govern our lives by. All the sound teaching and all the good deposits are contained in these 66 books. The standard, the pattern of absolute truth, it comes from God alone through his word and nothing else. There are no extra premonitions of truth. There are no extra additions to truth. There's some interpretations of truth, maybe some different applications of truth, but no different truth. So we need to remember that that's the sound teaching, that's the pattern, that is what Paul wants Timothy to hang on to. To hold, hold it desperately. Let's talk first also about how, or next, how, how he tells Paul, Timothy how to maintain that grip on them. He says, first of all, the faith and love of Jesus Christ. See, nothing else matters if you don't believe and trust and live inside the faith and love of Jesus Christ. That's what he's given us. And also, on top of that, as if he had to give us any more, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In all believers, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. And that is how we gain and get the precious treasure that Paul is telling Timothy to guard and us to guard as well. See, total devotion to Jesus, it requires holding and guarding. Because it's always under attack. This book is always under attack. You may have 20 of them on your shelf at home. This book is always under attack. I and mean, if it's on your shelf and you're not reading it, it's the, uh, the attack is already won. The point is to pick this thing up and read it. 
We'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Faith, love, and the power of God through the Holy Spirit. These are the reasons. These are the motivations. These are the means that God has given us to know truth, absolute truth. Yes, there is absolute truth, regardless of what the Internet says. There is absolute truth. Because the absolute truth is that Jesus came to save us. That's why we did this this morning. He came and saved us for those who trust him and believe in him. And the last thing I want to talk about in this, these two verses is that holding and guarding this treasure, this deposit, with the means of grace that he's given us requires one to be devoted to these things. See, you can't just say you are. You have to be devoted to it. You have to really act on it. Holding and guarding means getting close. You know, in the NFL, there's a penalty called holding. Offensive linemen hold someone on when they're trying to block them and they hang on to them too long or they wrap their arms around them like I saw the other day. They have to be close enough to do that. We have to be close to God's word to hold it, to guard it. We can't just say we want to protect it when we don't even know it. We need to be intimate with the truth of Jesus. Okay, we need to be intimate with it. And Paul knows for Timothy to, to faithfully pastor at the church at Ephesus and to pastor after Paul's dead, because Paul sees his death coming. He said he's wanting him to realize you got to be confident in the truth and you got to know it well. In the upper room, the night before Jesus was crucified, he prepares his disciples for his departure. But he also he prepares them for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to them, and it's a long, long set of a list of, of teachings he does. It's a great sec section of the Bible to read, John chapter 13 through 17. It's a wonderful section of, of Jesus' intimate time with his disciples. But in the upper room that night, Jesus gave out information, teaching, that actually gave, gives Paul what he wrote about in this passage we're looking at this morning. John chapter 14, verses 26 through 27. Jesus says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. So we have the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus promised the disciples, everything he taught them came back to them. We have everything we need for life and godliness contained in these 66 books. It is a great truth to remember. You know, it's amazing the things we remember sometimes. I hear people recount memories, statistics, details. I mean, it's like you start talking to someone who's a sports nut, and they can remember all these things, these stories, these stats, these details. Yet when someone asks them a question about the Bible, about Jesus, about God's character, they get real quiet. But they claim to be a Christian. Why is that? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because we fail to keep the truth close. We fail at that. Devotion to Jesus means we, we know Jesus, that we obey Jesus, and we hold him close. And we do this specifically by loving his word. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the description of Jesus Christ. If you turn the Bible into a human being, it would be Jesus. If you turn Jesus into a book, it would be the Bible. That is our 
truth we are supposed to be hanging on to, holding on to, keeping close. Many of us as followers of Christ, sometimes we're intimidated by questions. We're intimidated by challenges to the truth, but we shouldn't be. I mean, sometimes the only answer to some people's questions is Jesus, just Jesus, just that one word, or God, because that's the way God designed it. That's the way God made it. We don't have to get fancy with our answers. We don't have to get all, you know, oh, elaborate. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology to answer their questions, because some of their challenges are just a false thing. They're just coming up with some idea on their own. I love it when non-believers try to tell us how we're supposed to act as Christians. They've never read their Bible. We use excuses, though, when we, when we don't keep the truth close. We use excuses like, I'm not very good with history. I've heard that one. Or I can't memorize verses. Or I don't read very well. But I know some of you can recite facts and stories from way back. Do you remember things? We never forget old memories or military stories. But the truth is we know what we want to know. We learn what we want to learn. It's, it's, it's in our nature. We, we don't have to work extra hard at it. We want to know something, we go out and find out about it. So if you claim Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you know in your heart that you have believed in him, he expects you to hold his truth close. He didn't save you to just be fire insurance or escape the, the, the pit of hell. He saved you to know this book, know it well. Now, how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. It's pretty simple. Spend serious time in your Bible. Serious time. Not just a, a one-verse devotional in the morning. It's a good way to start. It's a good way to start. You've heard me say that before. But spend some serious time. Try to focus at least one day a week on some serious, read a whole chapter. I know that scares some of you, but it shouldn't. Pay attention to where you are in your Bible and what you're reading. Try to understand kind of the context. Read it like you're looking for a lost piece of treasure, like it's a treasure map. Read it like that, like you're trying to find some clue. You're trying to find some solution. Read it like that. You may not find it that day, but I'm telling you, you'll pay attention to it a lot more. Spend serious time in your Bible. That's how we keep the truth close. Another way is to pray. Lots. And deliberate. Make time for it. Make time for minutes of prayer, not seconds of prayer. Get serious about it. You can meditate on the passages you read in prayer. Pray, pray them literally back. You can read them off to God as a prayer so God can maybe, will maybe give you some more understanding in that. Ask God to help you understand. He wants you to understand this. And he gives you as a believer the Holy Spirit. So give it some time. He'll make it, un he'll make it understandable. See, the Holy Spirit lives in you to give you insight into the truth in God's word. That's what he's there for. Like Jesus told him, the counselor is going to make it all make sense to you. I understand something this morning. It is a shame and it is a travesty. It's a poor example for us to follow Jesus and know very little about him. I mean, it really is. It's sad. And some of the, the people that I've, I've talked to and it's been six years today since I came here as pastor, but in the conversations I've had with people in the church and out the church, there's so many things people think they know about Jesus. They think they know about God, and they've never picked up their Bible to find out. And it's led them down some crazy paths. and some. It's just a tragedy. Discipleship in some form 
is God's plan to aid our education. Discipleship, which just means learning what God, living your life and learning to live your life according to God's word. That's all discipleship is. That's all Jesus did with the 12 for three years. Disciple them. He wants us to be familiar with his word. So if you expect to survive persecution, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks, trials, suffering, if you expect to survive that, you must know God's truth. Know it. Be intimate with it. Because only his truth will set you free. Only his truth. Not the world's truth, not our own version of the world's truth, not our own logic. God's truth. Jesus told him, my truth will set you free. We need to remember that. Know the truth. Devotion to Christ starts with knowing the truth. But there's another part of this passage, and it includes living and ministering that truth boldly for the sake of others. So remembering faithful actions, that's the second point this morning. And this is kind of a, an interesting story Paul shares with us that makes a, a large impact if you're paying attention. Verses 15 through 18, you know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant him, may the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. This is two stories, two very good stories. One's bad and one's good. See, Paul faced a preliminary hearing once he was in prison. He faced, had a, and in, in chapter 4, verse 16 of 2 Timothy, you'll see him reference that as well. He was in front of the Roman authorities to face his charges. Now, don't think it's like we do here. It's, it's, not, it's not the same thing. They were probably pronouncing the charges as if they were convictions, okay? See, the Roman court system was nothing like ours. You are guilty until proven innocent. We have just the opposite. So he's faced this tribunal, this set of authorities over his charges. And he had probably some people with him, particularly Phygelus and Hermogenes, probably was with him when he got arrested and had come to Rome. But when this trial of this preliminary hearing happened, they deserted him. No one stood with him. All the Christians that were with him in Rome from Asia Minor, which today is modern West Turkey, the churches fled, abandoned Paul. You know that desertion is a capital offense in the military? Paul names two people particularly, and this is kind of a sad legacy to leave, right? You're, you, this is the only time these two names are mentioned in the entire Bible. And they're remembered as two guys who deserted Paul. Ouch. They're unknown to us, Phygelus and Hermogenes. They're, they're unknown to us, but they were evidently important enough to Paul that he named them. Maybe they were people that, certain men that Paul had put a lot in. Maybe he was expecting more from them. Maybe they had promised to stick around and didn't. I don't know. We don't have any real clues. But you know how you've been let down. These guys evidently did that. They were derelict in their duties. Now, Paul is not implying here that they lost their salvation, so don't overinterpret this, this line. He's just implying that they failed. They failed to stand with him and left a bad legacy in their name. 
But we're not going to spend time on the bad this morning. We're going to spend some more time on the good. But Paul did have some help. Onesiphorus. I keep trying to say it right. I don't know if I am, but he's another unknown. This is the only place his name is ever mentioned in the Bible. Well, we do know a little bit about him. We do know he's from Ephesus because Timothy has, has, has connection there according to Paul. But he risked so much to go find Paul. And Paul is asking God to give mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. I'm not going to do it. It's just not going to happen today. He asked for mercy for their household because they were probably still in Ephesus. And he, Onesiphorus, was in Rome helping Paul. But look at what he did. He refreshed Paul. Refreshed just means he gave him comfort. He gave him some basic needs probably. He ministered to him in some sort of way. Simple assistance. He didn't break him out of jail. <laughs> Paul would never allow that, believe it or not. He knew he was in there for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's where he was going to stay. But the presence of Onesiphorus was comforting to Paul, encouraging. Presence is good medicine. Presence is really good medicine. You don't have to say anything. Matter of fact, the best thing Job's for three friends did for him when he had trouble was sit there with him for seven days and said nothing. Once they opened their mouth, it was ugly. But the most crucial part is that he was unashamed of Paul's chains. Unashamed that Paul was a prisoner. Unashamed to be identified with Paul, a prisoner, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then to risk his own life, to find Paul, risked his own arrest as well. He could have been arrested as a Christian. He showed the fearlessness for the gospel that I talked about last week in verses 8 through 12. It was a great example for Timothy. It was a great example. Why? Well, imagine. Timothy already knew Onesiphorus. He knew him from Ephesus. He had firsthand experience with this guy. But imagine, there's a person roaming around Rome asking people, where is this Christian preacher named Paul? What prison is he in? Where is he? You know that's not, uh, that's not something you can do and nobody knows back then. And remember, Nero is on his rampage of burning and killing and persecuting all Christians because he blamed them for the burning of Rome. He, did, he set the fire and then he blamed Christians and now he's persecuting them terribly, torturing and everything. So Onesiphorus is in the city of Rome, roaming around asking, where's Paul? Do y'all know a guy named Paul? He was a preacher Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he got arrested. You know, I can't even imagine. I, would you do that? If you knew you could possibly be arrested because you're asking about a Christian that's in jail for being a Christian, it's kind of like going to northern Nigeria right now and asking for, hey, where's Pastor so-and-so that's in jail right now? There's a lot of pastors in jail in Nigeria right now. It's, it's incredible. How dangerous was that? He searched tirelessly until he found the Apostle Paul in Mamertine Prison in the lower dungeon. And Paul prays at the end here again for God to be merciful in salvation on the day that Jesus Christ comes back for dear, sweet Onesiphorus. And here's Paul's point. Here, here's kind of how we can paraphrase what, what Paul is trying to say to Timothy. Timothy, this is devotion to Christ. This is the fearlessness, the faithfulness of gospel truth in action. This is selfless Devotion, Timothy. This is what it looks like. It's an example. 
See, Paul has, for these first part of this chapter, Paul has prodded Timothy, commanded Timothy, uh, exhorted Timothy, admonished Timothy to stand firm. Verses 1 through 14. And here, praise God, is an example of someone doing that. Remember, like I said, this is the only place we ever hear of Onesiphorus. He's not in Ephesians. He's not in any other list in the back of the letters of, of Paul showing gratitude. It's just right here. But what he did was so so important. Here's how important it is. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Jesus tells a parable, and he's talking about a lot of things in chapter 25, but he tells a parable in verses 34 through 40. He tells a parable of sheep and goats, or sheep and goats, I should say, he div- of God, of Jesus sitting on his throne, and he divides the goats from the sheep. I did that backwards. The sheep from the goats. He divides these two groups of animals. And he's, this is all a metaphorical parable, okay? But Jesus tells us how important it is to do the small things. I'm not going to read the whole parable, but verses 34 through 40, if you want to follow along. Then the king being Jesus, will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, And you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine... You did for me. The least of these. I want you to notice something about that parable. It didn't say you gave to a benevolent fund and they took care of it. It says you did it. You went out there and fed them. You went out there and clothed them. You went out there and visited them. There's there's physical action here, not just dropping money in a plate. Now, that's good. We have agencies that do that and we like to support them as best we can. But I think Paul and I think Jesus wants us to get busy and get involved. Get close to them so that you can share the love of Christ with them. So don't discount any service or effort for the kingdom as an unimportant thing. Because Jesus sees. Jesus will reward it. Because Jesus is always looking for faithful actions. If you read your Gospels, you, you can see it. He sees, he's looking for faithful actions that are done with no regard for their own person. No regard for whether they're going to get something from it or whether they're going to get noticed or whether they're going to get accolades or whether they get patted on the back, et cetera, et cetera. He does, he's looking for that. For example, the widow's offering. Two copper coins. I preached on that a few months, or several months ago. Two copper coins. She gave them both. That's all she had. She could have given one. She could have given 50% of her income, but she gave 100%. The woman that washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Washing someone's feet crying so much over your sin that you wash someone's feet with your tears. Mary Magdalene, who visited the tomb and was diligent to try to find her Savior. 
See, those things are things Jesus notices. They're all done with one goal in mind, one simple goal, honor God. Honor God with what you could do, not what you wished you could do. Take what you have and honor God. Do you want to do great things for God? Then do small things. Do the small things. Remember the little tasks that are out there. There's always things to do. There's always someone in need. Our eyes must always be looking for the least of these, for the needy, for the helpless, and for the lost. we got to be looking for them because they're out there. Remember last week I shared that the nuns, the people who have no religious affiliation, is the largest group now in America compared to any other religious group. We need to be looking for them because they have no concept of what Jesus Christ is about. We can find them and we can help them. No task or service is beneath us. No deed or aid is below our status. We need to be helping. Followers of Jesus make time to reach out to the lost and dying souls, and nothing is more important to God than the souls of men. Nothing. God is always looking for the humble servant sharing God's truth with a lost soul or helping someone like Onesiphorus did with Paul. We need to share the good news. We need to just share it and let God decide the rest. We're not, we don't have to convince them. We don't have to close the deal. Share the gospel. Tell them. Let God decide what happens. Remember, I've always said this. And I'll keep saying it. Two things last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. Those are the only two things that will exist beyond this planet, beyond this earth. So we need to remember our salvation calls us to serve faithfully in any capacity, in any situation, and as in this case, at any risk, whatever it may be. It may get risky one day to talk about Jesus, even in this country. We need to be ready. Well, kind of in summary here, Paul concludes his instructions and his commands on being faithful to the call by knowing the truth and remembering the faithful. That helps us, keeps us on task. And the Bible makes it clear that God expects us from us total devotion. He expects us to not leave anything reserved. You know what? And only those saved by Jesus can be totally devoted to him. That's the truth. And if you took part in the Lord's Supper today, you are called to this devotion. If you took part as a believer, you are called to this kind of devotion. And your soul will benefit if you do. Think what life would be like if you gave that kind of devotion to Christ. There are blessings we do not know. Jesus said, I come to give them life and life abundantly. I'm not, he's not talking about material things. He's talking about a peace that passes understanding, a joy that's beyond our comprehension. If all that thrilled your soul is Jesus, you would then hear on that day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter your rest. So believer, you can enjoy so much more abundant life by devoting your soul to serving King Jesus. Tell someone that Jesus forgives them. By faith in Jesus, they can be forgiven. That he provides eternal life to heaven. And if you want to become a full-time partner in our fellowship, come see me about that after the service. I would love to chat with you about that. Those of you who do not know Jesus as your Savior, understand one thing. Everyone's soul is immortal. Everyone's soul will last for eternity. 
God made human souls immortal. And they either spend eternity in heaven by faith in Jesus Christ, or they go to hell. And hell is not a happy place. Hell will be a place of spiritual darkness. It'll be a place of physical agony. It will be a place of eternal death forever. A death that never comes. I hope you want to avoid that. I hope you want to avoid that. And you can by holding on to the gospel. By holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You believe and you repent. And faith is just trusting with conviction Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for your forgiveness. It's what he did that makes you right with God. And it's all of grace. And you repent. You change your attitude about sin. You decide you want to get all your sin out of your life. All sin that's, that's afflicting you, you want to get it out of your life. You want to turn away from all that causes you to not trust Jesus. That's what salvation does. If you want to know more about that, come talk to me. I want to tell you more about Jesus. So as we close our service, first we want to, we want to take some time right now to pray over these things we've talked about. If you need to be more devoted to Jesus or if you need to know Jesus at all, pray about it. Ask God to make it clear to you. If you want to come down front and pray during this time, please feel free to do it. We're going to have a time of silent prayer, and then I'll close us out. Let's pray. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Hope you're going to do that this week. Let's say our benediction together. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip us with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Yes, Bob.